Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. So, now we're going to get into um, part six of our teaching, this uh, series that we've called uh, Shouts and Whispers. And in this, we've been looking at places where the who Jesus is and what he was going to do his assignment was whispered in the old testament and then it gets shouted in the new testament we see this this connectivity where there's there were these straight up prophetic things there were things that were said that maybe nobody at the time knew that they were prophetic and then it ends up having this connection to jesus because it's really important that we understand that jesus has been part of the god man story all the way through this that jesus didn't just kind of show up on the scene one day and all of a sudden kind of hijack what God was doing with the people of Israel and, and take this in a new direction. Jesus was part of this from day one. Jesus was part of this from the very beginning. And it's important for us to be able to see that. So if you got your version app open, you follow along in your notes, you got the, the pretty little bulletin we handed you on the way in here, then let's just follow along with this concept that to know God better and to trust him more, we need to see that Jesus has been part of the God-man story all along. And we've looked at this passage of scripture over and again because it shows that Jesus himself when he when people were confused about what was going on with Jesus with his death burial and resurrection Jesus did not take brand new words and brand new ideas he could have but he didn't he goes back to the scriptures he goes back to and shows these people that this stuff was talked about all along he ends up there on resurrection day. How awesome is it that Jesus is resurrected that morning and at that evening, a little before sundown, he's walking down a road. That is just so cool to me. And he's still there in his, in, his, in his fleshly resurrected body and he's walking down a road and he connects with two people who are talking about this death, burial, resurrection thing, the scandal, all that. He's, they're talking about it. Jesus comes up alongside. They don't know it's Jesus he enters into their conversation. He's talking to them. We catch up to this thing in verse 24. It says, then some of our companions, this is the two people talking to Jesus. They're telling Jesus this. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. And he said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. You shouldn't be rocked on your heels here. This has already been talked about. You're being slow to embrace this. You should have been on the front side of this, recognizing that this was coming all along. He said, you've been, you've been kind of slow to connect with this. You're slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Jesus, he sits down with these guys on Resurrection Sunday, talking to these guys and breaks open the scriptures. He begins to talk about them and reveal himself to them out of that. That Jesus begins to let it become un unfolded before them. Let it become alive in their minds and in their hearts. Let it be revealed to them. That's so, so, I'm so grateful that that's the way that he works. That God lets it be revealed to us. 
I pray every week that there would be the spirit of revelation here. That you would, your mind would awaken to the truth in a deeper level of how much God loves you, how much he's for you, and how much he wants to be involved in every aspect of your life. I pray that it, it gets revealed because if it doesn't get revealed, we cannot force it into you. We can't force it into you. Are anybody familiar with the message translation of the Bible? Message translation. We use it every once in a while. It's a neat translation. It kind of puts it into layman's terms and, and helps kind of take some of the stuff, the language we can get overly familiar with and present it in a new way and kind of help connect. And it was that translation was, was put together, or translation is a bad word, but it's, it's not word for word. It's idea for idea. And anyways, but it was put together by a man named Eugene Peterson. And I have been recently going through a, a book that's autobiographical, uh, biographical, thank you, um, of his life. And, and in this story, he was, he was raised by a, a mom who went and did preaching herself years ago. And this is in like the, the 1920s in logging camps and mining camps. And she was just a strong woman of God. And she, she put the, the word of God into her son and, and tried to teach him and train him. And to help him to, to live in a world that didn't always love Jesus. And he was caught in that tension between a household that loved God and a world that didn't. And that came into a place of collision when he had to deal with a local bully. So the local bully lived down the street for him. And, and it's like the bully could smell in him that he was not going to retaliate. That mom told him to turn the other cheek and, and to pray for those who persecute you and pray for your enemies. And, and it's like the bully just knew he was not going to retaliate. So the, the bully attacks him relentlessly. Does the whole thing of he goes home a different route, goes through an alley, goes through all these things. And the, the bully meets him and beats him up. On a weekly basis, multiple times a week, for months on end. And he just keeps going. He goes home bruised, and his mom encourages him. You know, this is the way believers have been treated for years and years. And he tries to regroup. And finally, he just can't take it anymore. And he's there, and the bully corners him. And there's a crowd there. And, and all of a sudden, he just pops. He just has enough. And he reaches out and grabs a hold of the bully and realizes he was stronger than the bully. And then the bully realized Eugene was stronger than the bully. And then they, he ties, I'm taking this another day. And he ends up, they end up on the ground, and Eugene Peterson ends up on top of him and just, boom, giving him a beatdown, man, just smacking him, punching him in the face, guy's bloody nose, the whole bit. And he tells the, tells the, the little guy, he tells the, the bully, says, say, uncle, I, where did that come from? My dad used to pin me down sometimes and say, say, uncle. You're my dad. What? <laughs> this is confusing. And so I, I don't know where that phrase came from. I need to study that. But anyways, he's telling him, say, uncle. And he, the guy won't say, uncle. So then he says, all of a sudden, the, all the, the scripture and the teaching from his mom come roaring back out of the, the back of his mind. And now he sees an opportunity. So he punches the guy again and, and say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the risen Savior. Say it. And the guy won't say it. So he punches him in the face again. <laughs> say, I believe that Jesus is the risen Christ, the Savior. And finally, the guy's sitting there and pummeled and beat up. I believe Jesus is the risen Christ, the Savior. And, you know, and Eugene says, you know, his, 
That was his first conversion as a minister. <laughs> and he beat the snot out of the dude. And, you know, and so and there's this place that um, I'm pretty sure the bully um, didn't get saved that day. I'm pretty sure the bully probably walked away with a rough taste of what Christianity was all about. And if you know anything about Eugene Peterson as a minister, that is not his heart as all, at all. But there can be this place where, uh, where there's, there's this connection of, of humanity and divinity. And, and we don't know what to do with it when we find the, the, our flesh coming up and, and the Spirit of God involved. And this collision between us, these things rankle. And so consequently... Sometimes we have a hard time because, because it, we don't know what to do with it in ourselves sometimes. Sometimes it's hard for us to look at Jesus as both God and man. Because we don't know what to do with the, the newborn part of us and the part of us that's fleshly and wants to get even and get back. And we try to interweave the two and it comes out messy and wrong and, and we don't know what to do with it. And so what I want us to do is we have to get to a place where we are super comfortable with the truth that Jesus is both God and man. That he's both. Because what will happen is we will begin to lean towards one or the other. We will begin to lean towards that Jesus is, is God, 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 God. And then we put him in a place where he quits being our example of what a human life properly lived looks like. Because then we'll tell ourselves what he was God. You know, I'm just a sinner scraping along by grace. No, we're God's children. Amen. We're called to, to live on another level. Amen. We have the Holy Spirit alive on the inside of us. Jesus' life showed us what a true human life should look like and be lived like. And if we put it, lean too far to his divinity, to, to his God's side, we will cop out on us. And say, man, I'm so glad that God did that for us because I'm stuck over here. And we won't lean in to Jesus, the example of what God is crafting us and, and bringing us to be. And, and if we lean too hard towards the human side, then we can find ourselves overly familiar and have God, Jesus, as this kind of comfy companion and forget that he's Lord. And forget to give him permission to be Lord in our lives and permission to make decisions in our lives and, and show us that our lives aren't properly reflecting who we really are and, and make shifts in our lives. If we lean too hard on the humanity, I'm, you know, we can find ourselves being overly comfortable with Jesus is my homeboy. And, and you know what? If that's a place where you need to start, then that's a great place to start. But the truth is, and yeah, Jesus does want to, he is a faithful friend. But Jesus is king. Jesus is God. And we can find ourselves gravitating towards one or the other. We can just find ourselves leaning one way or the other. And man, the number one scripture in the New Testament, the number one re-quoted place where the Old Testament finds its way into the New Testament, the number one, we're about to look at that. Here it is in Psalms 110. I think I blew over the first point. It says, we should never forget that Jesus is both God and man. And he's at the right hand of God. Psalm 110.1 says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. 
That's quoted nine different times verbatim in the New Testament. In bits and pieces, it's quoted 24 times in the New Testament. This is a big truth, folks, we've got to get a hold of. Because we will lean back and forth. We'll go back, and we need something to not let us get off track. We went to Six Flags fairly recently there in San Antonio, and they got a new cool ride that, sadly, it was I didn't get to ride it, and I was down a new cool roller coaster called Batman, and, and it, it was cool. But it took the place of a much more lame ride, which was the old cars. Anybody remember the old cars there? It had a little metal track, and you couldn't steer them for nothing. And, I mean, you could just kind of let it steer right, and it would finally catch that little middle guide, and it'll, you'd get there. You'd be lean and hard. Well, that's what we need. I think this is, I think this scripture shows up in full nine times and in pieces 24 times because we need that little middle guide or we will, we will end up moving off base and miss who Jesus really is if we lean too hard to the man side or too hard to the God side. And, and I, I'm convinced of that because of the way I see Jesus interact with people around this passage of scripture Let's look at Matthew 22. We're going to look at verse 41. And it says, While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Christ? They're trying to pin Jesus down. They're trying to, to make a fool of him. And when you try to make a fool of Jesus, you get made a fool of yourself. And um, so they're asking him, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? The son of David, they replied. And and." Then Jesus comes back to them and says, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If David then calls him Lord, how can he be his son? And no one could say a word in reply. From that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. See, the... The Hebrew people, the Jewish people, were looking for Messiah. They were looking for him to show up, and they very much were leaning on the man part of it. They were looking for this man like David who was anointed to be a king and lead an army and break them free like David did and lead them into their, this place of independence and bring a physical kingdom back to the earth and they were looking for a man and Jesus immediately attacks that with them and says okay whose son is he you're so wound up in this man part of the Messiah you're so wound up in this whose whose son is he like, it's David's it's like, okay well then David's the one who writes the Lord said to my Lord sit at your right hand until I make your enemies your footstool well if David's calling him Lord how's it his, his lineage it didn't work that way. All of a sudden, he showed, man, there's something bigger at work here than just a human descendant of David. There's something more powerful. There's something bigger than just the human side of this. And, and it jarred them, and they, they didn't know what to do. And then we see it come from another angle. Here in Mark chapter 14, verse 61, 64. It said, but Jesus remained silent and gave them no answer. And again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? Are you the Son of God? Are you the Christ? Are you the Son of God? First off, that first encounter, they were so wrapped up in a human lineage. Now they're questioning him, are you the Son of God? 
And, and Jesus says, I am, said Jesus. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his clothes and says, why do we need any more witnesses? He asked, you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him as worthy of death. So here in his answer about his divinity, he brings in this passage of scripture and brings in this thing that says, you're going to see the son of man. You're going to see the son of man show up. Yes, I'm the son of God, but I'm also the son of man. And you will see that all through, all through the gospels, that he's both. He's both God and man. And we have to do that every time that somebody tried to lean one way with Jesus, Jesus would bring back the other side. They were trying to focus on you, that you're the son of God, son of God. And he's like, yep. And you'll see the son of man come. Jesus kept bringing things back into alignment. Let's go ahead and look at 1 Timothy 2. It says, For it is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. I first, I love this, that it's God's heart that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Not some, not a handful, not a little selective elect group for all men to be saved. It is his heart. It says, for God is one and there is one mediator of God and of men, the man. Christ Jesus. That God is at work and he's doing it through a man. Isn't that amazing that a man sits at the right hand of God? That a man does. It's Jesus, but he's a man. That's why we can boldly go before the throne of grace. You know, there are things I don't deal with. There are things that other people deal with that as a pastor... There are things, certain things that come up. I'm like, man, I, I, I understand that. I, I've, I've dealt with that, and I've, I've gone through it. Um, I, I've never dealt with drug addiction. I've never dealt with it. I've never done drugs in my life. It doesn't make me any better than anybody, but I just have not, I've not done it. And so when somebody comes to me and, and connects with that, then I, I don't, I'm not one that automatically goes, hey, I get you. I, 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 I know where you're at. I know where you're going. But I know people who do. And I can connect them with that. And the Spirit of God understands, and He can give me compassion for them in that moment. And so I can step into that. But just Brandon Clark, the guy, that's not something I wrap my head around. That's not something I, I do, I'm attracted to, I want, I have a tendency towards at all. Got my own stuff I've dealt with in life, but that's not, that's not one of them. But here's the, so here's the cool thing, is, is that when we go to God, the Word tells us that Jesus uh, empathizes completely with our humanity. He gets it. He understands it. So when you're going through some rough stuff, first off, remember, it's his, it's his desire for all people, the people that drive you up the wall the most. He wants them saved and to come to the knowledge of him. And he empathizes with you, and you can come before him boldly. Why? Because our mediator is the man, Christ Jesus, that he is his divinity has made has brought the right image back to humanity. Remember, we're made in the image of God. We're not made in the similitude of God. We're not made in the nearness of God. We were made in the image of God. 
And that God wants that restored. And Jesus is that beautiful picture of what that looks like. See, we should never forget that through Jesus we've been given a secure place of favor and acceptance. See, when we talk about this whole right hand thing, so many times we can, from a Gentile mindset, a non-Jewish mindset, we can miss it. Okay, And so because we don't understand right hand the way they understood right hand. Right hand was a place of favor and honor. And so when the word says that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, then he's at that place of favor and honor. But here's what's cool. What's, what's, open, with Je- what's open on Jesus' hand? So if Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, then that's Jesus' left hand is over there. What's, what's open on Jesus' right hand? His hand. His hand is open. His right hand of favor and honor is there to be extended to us. Let's look at Colossians 3.1. It says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now let's look at Ephesians 2. It says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. It's not of works so that no one can boast. Because here's the problem we'll come into. Keenan, come up here. Here's the problem we'll come into. All right? So I'm going to, I just need you to stand right there. And um, so that uh, we're going to have God the Father. It's a stretch. I'm going to be Jesus, all right? And so and I'm going to be Jesus. I'm at the, I'm at the, at the, the right hand. And, um, and so, and then now I've got my, my hand of favor, okay? And so, and then here comes along Jesus, I mean, Kenan, and he comes to Jesus. And if we have the wrong mindset, if we don't understand that this is relational and not works, then what we can do is we can think that it's this. I extend my hand of favor and honor, and now I'm connected with Jesus. And then now Kenan has his right hand to go out and to get all this other stuff done and extend grace and favor and all this and, and just build this beautiful human chain from God all the way through humanity. And you know what? If that was the case, um, th- that, that's, that's not what we've got here. Because here's what the scriptures say. Let's look at Psalms. It'll be up on the screen. Uh, Psalm 73, uh, verse 21 and 22. Don't go anywhere. Um, it says, So when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered this is not at a really good great place okay while his heart is grieved his spirit was embittered i was senseless and ignorant i was a brute beast before you this does not seem like you this person is this god worshiper who's got this all together they've got it's just this is a mess they're grieving they're bitter Anybody ever been a little bitter? Everybody have been cut to the point that you grieve? You can't make sense of anything? You're senseless, ignorant? This sounds like a really ugly, terrible place. Let's keep going to verse 23. It says, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. 
You guide me with your counsel, and afterwards you take me into glory. Who am I in heaven but you? And on earth there's nothing I desire beside you. My heart, my flesh, and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So wait a second. Jesus here is our connector. He's got his right hand. And wait a minute. Where's your right hand? If I'm going to hold you by your right hand, where am I looking? Where are you looking? We're face to face. This is a greeting. This is a place of acceptance. This is a place of connection. This is what he wants. And he's in there and he's in this right hand. Not when he's in a place where everything is awesome and good. He's embittered. He's grieving. He's senseless and ignorant. It is an ugly, broken place. And the Father's holding him by his right hand. This is what our relationship with God looks like. This is what it is. We have a God, a, a Savior sitting at the right hand of God that wants to be in a place of fellowship and connection with you. And if we don't get it down deep in our hearts that this is a place of grace, of favor, then we will turn this into something. We'll say, God, I'm so glad I'm not alone. And now I'll do all this other stuff for you out here. And now all of a sudden his, his hand's free and he tries to look out and to extend and all this and feel like he's got to do all of this because this was so wonderful. And now I've got to do something to earn it and to, to make myself count. No, this. This is what counts. This is what he wants. This is what this is about. Folks, we, he's at the right hand of the Father, and he's extended his right hand to you. Thank you. And uh, so you should never, ever, ever forget. And we wind it up with this. Thanks for giving me a couple extra minutes. You should never forget that Jesus' work is completed. Let's look at Mark 16, 19. Mark, and as he's writing his gospel, Mark is a highlight kind of guy. Matthew covers the same grounds in 28 chapters that Mark covers in 16 chapters. Mark is, he, 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 he likes the highlights. He likes the action. Okay? So when Mark puts something down, Mark has some real intent here. Okay? And here's where Mark closes his gospel. It says, after Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven and he sat at the right hand of God. He sat down. Folks, Jesus didn't sit down because he was tired and he needed a break. And the cross and the grave and all that was taxing on him. He sat down because he was finished. He sat down because it was completed. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful words. That's why we look at Jesus all the time. We point you to Jesus all the time because Jesus is our clearest example of who God the Father is. And after He had provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty of heaven. After he took care of it, he dealt with it. He sat down and it is done. The writer of Hebrews goes on in chapter 10. It says, but when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits 
for his enemies to be made his footstool. And you know what? His enemies are not you and I. You're not his enemies. He calls us friends. It's the enemies of death. It's the enemies of sin. It's the, enemies of the, it's the enemy himself, the devil, who had came in and deceived and lied to humanity about the nature and the heart of God from the very beginning in creation. Let's not have this little people footstool. We're not his enemies. We're the prize. Where it says that for the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. It was you and I reconnected. It says because by one sacrifice he, was, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. By one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Now wait a second. Am I perfect or am I need to be made holy? Yes. You're perfect. What Jesus did made you perfect. But our response with one another, the way we interact, is still being perfected. It's still being made holy. So we are perfect as we are being made holy. That's why we have to get this down deep in our hearts that this work is completed. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where there has been forgiveness, there's no longer any sacrifice for sin. Folks, our bottom line is Jesus, God and man, has made a place of acceptance. And it is completed. It's done. It is done. Please get that. Please get it that, that Jesus is God and man. That it is this, he is the image of where we're going. And the work that, yes, you are perfect and heaven ready right now, but you are being made holy every day. And we are being shifted into the image of Jesus. We have to recognize that. That's where our maturity comes from. That's where our growth comes from. Where all of that comes from is embracing that. See, folks, when we see everywhere that Jesus is revealed, we begin to see Jesus revealed everywhere. Man, I'm telling you, there's just, it's Jesus Jesus, Jesus, all over the place. And your Savior, the man, Christ Jesus, sits at the right hand of the Father because his work for you is completed with his hand of favor extended to you. Please embrace it. Please live in that place of favor. I'm going to create a moment right here and now where maybe you've been on the outside on this thing and you've thought this whole time, that for you to grab a hold of God's hand and accept his forgiveness, somehow in your mind it meant that you were going to have to now do all of this different stuff to earn that forgiveness, to warrant that forgiveness. And it's not. You've, it's, it's what he's done for you. And then the next thing you do is you let him work in you. You give yourself wholly unto him, and yes, the Holy Spirit will make changes. But they're the changes he makes in you, not the changes you make for him. It's a complete different mindset. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.